And uh, the model of faith of giving to missions would be the church at Philippi. That was the church that when they got saved and Paul had to leave them, in one month he was over in Thessalonica, three Sabbath days, less than one month he was there, and two times they sent someone uh, with, a, with money to give to Paul and to Silas and to Timothy and Luke. They were all traveling together and they said, look, Let's, let's collect our money here and let's send it over there in two times in one month. And they did that the rest of his ministry, even to Epaphroditus who went whenever he was in, in, in house arrest in Rome and knocked on the door. And that's why we have the book of Philippians because before Epaphroditus left, he was sick while he was there, got sick and almost died. But Paul wrote the letter and sent it back with him uh, to the church at Philippi. So the model for giving to missions is the church at Philippi. The methodology of faith promise giving is found primarily in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. This is the method we use. Now, I don't think it's wrong to give to missions anyway. Now, some really sweet people uh, that are, are our friends, they give to missions by just taking maybe 10% of their general fund, and they, just, they, they take enough missionaries that will fit in 10% of the general fund and, and give it out. Is that wrong to do that? Absolutely not. There are some Christians who say, you know what, I'm going to, I'll tithe 10%, I'll give 2% to the Lord's work in my local church, and I'm going to take the next 2% and go 14%, and I'll take those 2% and I'll put that in faith promise every week. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but the Apostle Paul used a method with the, the churches, the Gentile churches that he started. He's 14 years into his, at least 14 years into his public ministry from leaving Antioch until uh, this time. He's probably in Ephesus. And he has gathered, he's gathered his, his, um, his, uh, his, his churches together, and he's talked to each one of them a year in advance. He said, next year, I'm going back to the Passover. When I go to the Passover, I'm going to have Jews from all over the world, but they're going to come. And I want to do something to be a blessing to the hurting saints of Jerusalem. Those people, most, many of them are hurting because of my own sin and my ignorance. I did a lot of ignorant things in, unbel in unbelief and ignorance. I hurt them. So many little widows are down there because I killed their husband. Many, much in poverty because I, I got them arrested. I got them fired at their workplace. Little kids are running around. And now they're older. They're no longer four or five years old. Now they're, now they're 20 years old. But they, they've been at a disadvantage because they were raised without a dad. I, I was the one who voted that their dad be killed, and I tried to prosecute them. So I think now that I can do this. I can get all, we can all work together. So he went to the church at Corinth first, and he says, look, you guys are the big city church. You guys are in a very good place where you can make money, and, and you guys are doing well financially. You need to hear this first. Here's my idea. Next year, I'm going to come, and when I come through, I'm going to... Uh, go back to Jerusalem, and we're gonna, I'd like for someone from your church to come and collect funds. And here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like every one of you to decide what you could do every week. Everybody lay by in store as God has prospered you on the first day of the week and bring it to church. The church will collect it, and next year this time you can go with me, and let's give your testimony to the Jewish people to know that their suffering was not in vain, that there are hundreds and thousands of people in the Gentile world that accepted Jesus. 
and I want you to do that. Well, they got excited, and they did. They made commitments, and then they showed Paul. The bottom line is we've went to everybody in church. Here's what they said they would bring every Sunday, and then we collected that together times 52. Next year when you come, we will be able to give you this much money, and it really encouraged Paul. He was overwhelmed. And he couldn't help it. He went to other churches and talked to them about it. He went to other churches that he had started in different places. And he told them, next year I'm going to go. I just left Corinth, and they have give, they're giving this amount of money. This is what each of those people have committed, and now next year they're going to have this. And they went, but he went to some poorer places. He went to Macedonia, which was Philippi, and Thessalonica, and Berea. He went to Lystra and Derby and other places that he had started churches there, and they got involved as well, but their earning capacity was not the same. It was big city guys and girls who were making good money uh, compared to some country bumpkins who were just trying to get enough eggs to, to feed the kids. There was, it was a lot of disparity. There were country people in the bush, and there's the people in the city. But uh, the people in the bush, the people in the, in the smaller towns, they got excited too. As a matter of fact, it, it overwhelmed Paul. He says, look, you guys, I, I don't expect you guys to get as, as excited about it. I understand you don't have as much money. He goes, oh, no, please let us participate. And the church at Ma and Macedonian churches especially were great. Well, now we're almost time to go back. The year is almost over. And Paul is getting ready to go uh, back to, to Corinth. And he's, that's one of the last trips. And then they're going to start going back to Jerusalem. You can, you can read the list of men who are going back with him in Acts chapter 20. There are seven men and they're where they're from as their names are mentioned. Sopater and Gaius and uh, different people from different towns are there. They all are, have their testimony, their leaders, and they have money from their churches they've collected. Now he's going to go back to Rome, he's going to go back to Jerusalem, and he's getting ready to do that. But he's nervous that the church at Corinth will not be, they, they had a bulldog mouth, but a, a, a chihuahua backside, okay? They had, they had a really, they, they, oh, yeah, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. But now he's like, I'm scared when I show up, they're not going to be ready. So his idea was to send Titus with this letter. Now, in the Bible, there are two, there are two letters that God, uh, that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth that are included in their scripture. Probably there's at least four that he wrote that are referenced here in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, but God put two of them in the Holy Bible. And this one is the, this is the second one, and he wrote that to them, and, and uh, he sent it with Titus. Now, the people there knew Titus because Titus was probably with them a year ago. They knew him. They knew him, and he was all in on this project. And he was kind of a little bit of a bull in a china closet. I think he was a very strong leader, very confident. His dad was Greek, uh, but, but he was very much uh, all in on this project. So he knew he would send him to go do it. And he also sent two other men. We don't know. The names are anonymous. He describes them here in this chapter it says there are people well-known, there are people that you know, that the churches have chosen to do it. It looks like to me it could be Dr. Luke is one of them because he was a doctor, he was probably very respected. Um, uh, it, uh, he was very respected in that area, so I think it could, it could have been Luke. I don't know for sure. 
But um, he was a Greek, but he was definitely, definitely very respected. So and there was another one there, too. Some people think it might have been Timothy, but I don't know for sure who it is. It could be Atticius, Archippus. could have been some other fellows. I just don't know. I don't, have a, I don't have a beat on that. But he does say, these guys are going to come, and when they come, I want you guys to be ready. And he challenged them with the, the challenge of the Macedonian poverty, how these people were, had been afflicted since the gospel first came to their town. Uh, the, the Philippians were, were attacked by the Gentiles whenever the lady was relieved of the demonic, uh, demonic influence. The damsel was relieved, and, and the, the guys that, that were using her and prostituting her gift caused a big stink, and he was when Paul and Silas were beaten. The, the other churches in Thessalonica and in Berea, those guys were attacked by the Jewish believers, or the Jewish, the Jewish people who were not believers who came against them. But they had all had a major affliction, and they weren't doing as well financially as the folks there in Corinth. And so he writes to them and tells them, get ready, I'm coming. Titus is coming to you, he's going to give you the letter I wrote to you, and he includes two chapters, chapters 8 and 9, to challenge them when it comes to giving. Now, so tonight what we're talking about is why would pastor, and why is it that I was handed a faith promise commitment card? What is the big deal? This is the method that Paul used, I think under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, to get the funds he needed to go to Jerusalem to be an encouragement to those people. So our funds are not used to be given to the poor or to help hurting saints somewhere in the world. Our funds are used to get the gospel by supporting missionaries and national men and women around the world for the sake of the gospel. But it's the method that God has given us here, and I think it's a good method for three reasons. Someone remembered this morning, they all start with the S. What's the first thing? It's simple. Yeah. Faith promise. Everybody... Children, adults, senior citizens, single, married, everybody making a commitment that this is what I'll do every week this next year. This is what I believe God has laid in my heart to do, and this is what I can do. And then doing it for one year. Number two, it's scriptural. It's right here in the Bible. I, I think what we're going to see that this is a very biblical thing. Number three, it is successful. It's successful as a church, and there are no wrong way to give to missions, to my knowledge. But this is the most successful way. And I think God gave us the idea from the Apostle Paul through the Holy Spirit of God. So it's the one I prefer to use, and I really believe it, it was a, a watershed moment in my life when I was exposed to it. And I'm very grateful for it, and even today. I'm looking forward to next week, and I'm gonna, I, I think the Lord is going to let us give more in 2024 than we did in 2023. And every year but one, I've, I've been able to increase my giving. And I say that personally, not to be braggadocious, good night in the morning. There's nothing to brag about. Everything I give is because God lets us give it. And I'm excited about it, because I think it is a, there's a lot of fringe and uh, benefits and blessings that come to a person that gives. Because the Bible says, give and it shall be given. That's a, great, that's a great promise that God gives us. But really, it's partnership with God. It's not equal giving, but equal sacrifice. I personally believe that every college student ought not to wait to get out of college to participate every week in world evangelism. I don't think any teenager 
should, should exit their teenage years or even exit uh, elementary school without doing something every week for world evangelism. And I've, I've watched young people do it. I've watched singles do it. I've watched senior adults do it. I talked to a man in our church yesterday, and right now he has given $180 a week to world evangelism. But he's now getting retirement age. He said, Pastor, I don't know if I can continue doing this. I'm not making the money I was making before. But he said, you know what? I did it last year, and the Lord helped me. And I, I think God wants me to keep doing it this year. Well, here's what I, here's what I believe with all my heart. I don't know. I, and I don't think, I don't, it's not my business. If you want to, and some of our good, our good folks have said, you know, Pastor, I can't do what, I, what I've done. And it's not between me and you. It's between you and God. Whatever God lays in your heart to do. Some of you may need to back up if that's what you feel like God wants you to do. But I also need to say, you know, this is what God can give through us. And we'll talk about this. It does matter two things. Number one, your willingness. Number two, your wherewithal. Okay? And God's not asking you to give something you don't have. You have to evaluate what, he, what he's going to give you. It's your wherewithal. He said, not for what a man doesn't have or what he does have. So not all of us can give equally, but all of us ought to give. Every once in a while, I've, I've been in meetings where a man will pray, Lord, bless those that can give and those that cannot give. There is no one in that last category. Everybody can give if you want to. Everyone. Children can give. Men can give. Singles can give. Married can give. Everybody can give something. And it's a key for God giving through you even more so. So with that in mind, that's the backdrop of the story. Now the Apostle Paul is sitting, he's, he's writing a letter and he turns, he tells him about Titus coming and then he tells him, moreover, when he comes, I want you to first be aware of the Macedonian Christians because they have been afflicted, but they have a lot of joy. They're poor, but they, they're very generous. And God helps them to do what they can do and he gives them power to beyond what they could do. Here's what I believe, that as, as people grow in this, not everybody, but many of you no doubt have given as your gift, or some of you have given as your gift. It's your gift. And, and I find that, that these people gave beyond their power. See, some of us, we give uh, what, we can, what, we, what we can give. And there's a, there's a few that God lets us give beyond our ability. And I do believe that's happened. God puts it in churches and he puts it, and some of them are precious ladies. I'm confident that one of the reasons that the church of Philippi was so generous can go back to one person's name, Lydia. Lydia, a lady who was a seller of purple, a businesswoman who got it. It was the only church that thought at that time, no other church saw this. Everyone else was just a taker. Brother James alluded to that. They got the gospel. Paul started their church, came into town, didn't take anything from them, gave them the gospel, set them up, and then he went someplace else and said, thank you very much, Paul. God bless you. I hope you come back. And the church of Philippi said, you know what? That guy's good at making tents, but he's better at preaching the gospel. How about all of us go to work Sunday, bring some money. We'll collect it in two weeks and we'll send it to him. That way he doesn't have to make tents. He can preach the gospel. And they, did, they got together and they sent that to him. I'm confident 
that God has given people. Well, the Apostle Paul tells us this particular. He said, I'm going to talk to you about the Macedonians. He said, I want to remind you about the man, Titus. He is the, he's the guru. He's the one who's helping you. And most, most of us who give to missions had someone in our life that stirred us up to do it. I could say Don Sisk was one of those men. Tommy Ashcraft was another one of those men who really just unveiled it for me. Uh, Brother Walter Stevens, who's coming here on, on, he'll be preaching on Saturday night, 6 o'clock. Of course, a converted uh, Roma gypsy man who was running a carnival, and someone gave him a track. He read the track in his trailer, and, and then later on met Pastor Spencer, and Pastor Spencer began to disciple him, and then led his wife Dolly to the Lord, and they cut down the, uh, the, um, the uh, palm reader sign and turned their back on what they knew as a gypsy, a gypsy mindset and the lifestyle and then began to reach hundreds and thousands of gypsies to the Lord, both here in Cleveland and Miami and Arizona and, and New Jersey and New York. He'll go anywhere here. He can walk up to any place where there's a palm reader sign and go in there. Most likely there's are gypsy people. And he can start speaking to them in a universal language. They're kind of like the Jews. They have their own Hebrew language the Jews do, and gypsies have their own language. He can go in there and talk to them. He can talk to them in Austria. He can talk to them in Rome, uh, uh, Romania, other places of the world. He can just go and they, they have the same language they keep together. But he's led them to Christ. And he, he spoke and challenged my heart about giving to world evangelism. Uh, Brother Mike Patterson was somebody else that God used in my heart and life. And there are many others that, uh, that are, are, are great instruments that God helped me. My own pastors helped me with this. Well, he said, send, send Titus. And he said, I want you to remind you of the motivation. The motive is for you to get saved, someone gave before you showed up. Okay, that's just true. Everyone who's saved today, you got saved because someone gave before you were thought of. Okay, uh, it, you, you can't, I don't know that anyone can argue with that. If it was a gospel track, someone bought the gospel track. If you came on a bus, someone put the fuel in the bus. Someone bought the bus. Someone ran the bus. If it was a church, somebody bought the building. Someone built the building. Someone bought the pew you sat on. Someone supported the pastor that preached the message or the evangelist that did. If it was a radio broadcast, you don't do radio for free. If it was television ministry, it's not done. James got saved through a television ministry. Uh, That didn't happen for free. He was 100% a taker the night he got saved. And so was I and so were you. Then we get saved, then we pass it on. He said, you, 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 because someone gave for you to get saved, you got to give so someone else to get saved. And then, because it proves the sincerity of your love. If you love, you give. I, I love to give to my wife, Linda. I love to give to my children. I want to love to give to the Lord because I love him. And I don't love him be, because I'm all that. I love him because he first loved me. And I, I'm kind of I'm caught up on that. He loved me that, I need to love him back. If he loves the world, I want to love what he loves. So these are the concepts. He said, you prove the sincerity of your love. Let's continue on, if we can, please. I had him read verse number seven, because I just think it's a great thing. He tells them, you abound in everything. This church was good at faith. They believed right. Utterance, they were fairly good at getting the gospel out. They acknowledged, they knew the Bible. In all diligence, they were hardworking. And in your love to us, you loved others. So, by the way, I think First Baptist Church could fit in that category, in my humble opinion. I think this church is, we're not, we're not perfect, but we believe the right things. We're, we know what to do. We get the gospel out to people. 
One of the hardest working churches I know, and I don't want to say braggadocious, I just feel like many hard working, it, it just takes a hard work to run 80 buses every week. It takes hard work to do a choir special. It takes hard work to organize and clean a building. It, there's a lot of hard workers in this movement. It takes hard work to move the snow off the sidewalks and the streets just in our little downtown section. It's unbelievable. Hard-working people get up early. Our men from our better roads, I saw them with shovels this week and working hard, moving the heavy snow off every, every sidewalk in our place here. It's hard work. And boy, a lot of hard workers in our church, not only in our church, but out in the community, in your jobs. Some of the, the toughest, strongest people I know. He said, he goes, this is your good. You're good at this. But I want you to abound in the grace of giving to others also. That's what he tells them. And he said, well, Jesus did it. Remember, he was rich, but for our sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might be rich. Let's look at the next statement, if we can, please. And verse number 10, and read it out loud with me. This is a great verse. I, I would hope that many of you would underline this thought. Ready? Let's read it together. And herein I give my, for this is who have begun before, not only to do, but also to be forward. He said, look, having said all this stuff, I mean, I, I told you about the Macedonians. I told you about the man Titus. I told you about the, the motive, which was because someone else gave and because you want to prove your sinner. I told you about the model Jesus. Now, having said all that, he says, now, here I give you my advice. Remember, giving to missions is not a command. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to partner with God financially. Once again, he's the one who gives you every dime you ever gave anyway, right? But for God's grace, you couldn't even put your, your hand to your mouth and feed yourself to Satan. But for God's grace, you couldn't add two and two and make four. You couldn't walk one, one, one step here without God's grace. So everything we have, it's him that gives us power to gain wealth. He said, but I want you to, if you want to partner with me, here is my advice. This is, he says, I'm just going to challenge you. I'm going to be there in a couple months. And I remember what you guys were. You were forward a year ago. Last year, you were so excited about it. And you committed to do it. He said, here's my advice. Because this is expedient for who? You. See, this is the beauty about Faith Promise Missions that I love. And that is, you're the winner. A lot of people win when people give to missions. I mean, I can just think of a lot of people. Uh, I, I feel like God wins because now someone else hears about his son. Jesus wins. His death is, not, is, is sufficient for another soul. The Holy Spirit gets to bring conviction. The word of God goes out. The person who gets saved in the mission field, they're excited. This week I was watching a ball game over at Quentin Road and a guy walked up to me and said, I've seen you somewhere. Where have I seen you? Do you have a YouTube? So he said, well, I preach. I knew it was you. I've been watching, I've been watching your church service. I said, well, that's great. I said, you got a different, different voice. You, you speak French, don't you? He said, yes, I do. He goes, I'm from Togo, West Africa. And I got saved because a missionary came to my, my area. Well, that, that guy is very happy he was saved. Now he's training for the ministry to go back. But, you know, the truth of the matter is he's very happy. How many are happy you got saved? <laughs> yeah. Anybody who gets saved is happy. If you, if you are saved, you ought to be happy. If you're not happy, maybe you're not saved. I don't know. Do a checkup from the neck up. Make sure you know you're saved. But the people who get saved are happy. But another person gets happy too, and that's the person who gives. 
Because when you give to missions, there are several byproducts of missions giving. Number one, uh, I, I think that you, you get eternal fruit on your account. It was Jesus who said, lay up for yourselves, treasures in. That's where Jesus lives. So here's what, here's what Jesus, he knows something about heaven that I don't know. But here's what he's saying. You're going to need treasures in heaven. Oh, you mean everything's just free up there? I don't know. Oh, I'm going to love heaven. You will. I think everybody going to heaven will certainly love heaven more than hell. <laughs> but I don't think it's going to be the same for everybody. Why would Jesus say you, you, need, to, you need to put treasures in heaven? Because he knows about the economy of heaven. And he invites us while we're living to do that. When we do it, we get eternal fruit in our heavenly account. Number two, the people that we're supporting have what they need. Apostle Paul, when he received the gift from, from the Philippian church, he said, now I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus all the things you gave to me. So how many of you, would? When you we've got a couple of young men that are going to be deployed that are members, of, their dad or mom are members of our church, and they're getting ready to be deployed to unknown places for us, but they know where they're going. Can't talk about it. But, you know, we're going to send them out. We're going to send them in with clothes that they need, with machinery they need, with guns that they need. We're going to give them all they need to go in there and get the job done so they can get back, right? When we send a missionary, do we want to give them what they need? Yeah, we, we got to equip them. So we equip the saints. And then the Bible says we give an odor of sweet smell to God. So when God... This world stinks in his nostrils most of the time. He has to look over the strip joints and the perverts and the gay bars. He has to see the people molesting children. He has to, he has to know what's going on all the time. Boy, if you and I knew what was just happening in Chicago, or let's just talk about Hammond, 78,000 people that live in Hammond. Could you imagine if you and I knew what was happening in Hammond, Indiana, between 9 o'clock at night on a, Friday, on a Saturday night till 3 o'clock in the morning, just, just six hours, and we had the capacity to know what was happening under every roof, in every nook and cranny, cranny of our city, in every bar, every person that was getting beat, every drug overdose, every, every kid getting slapped around, screamed at, cursed at, every little person getting hurt, by some pervert. And you could know what happened in a six-hour time frame in one town. In one town. Well, I don't even know if we, our mind would be able to comprehend that. We'd probably go to the funny farm. We'd probably never, we'd never be straight again. We'd, be, we'd just be weird the rest of our life. If we had six hours of perversion shoved into our brain and through our eye gate and ear gate. God knows what happens in every place of the whole world. In Sao Paulo, Brazil, in Bangkok, Thailand, in Phnom Penh, in Moscow, in Rio de Janeiro, in Colombia, in Central America, Mexico City, New York City. He knows what's happened everywhere. And the only thing that could retard that horrible picture is the gospel of Jesus. The only thing you can change that is the gospel of Christ. So you can understand why God might be excited about us getting the gospel. 
to somebody else. You know, you can stop a lady from getting beat. You get the gospel to her husband. You, you get the gospel to that precious lady. You, you can protect them. Obviously, there's more things we can do than that. You know how you can help some of these things not come to... You get someone drug-induced, alcohol, that automatically goes to immorality. It's, it's made to get you there. Now you can stop that. Get them the gospel. You get them the gospel. You get local churches. You get people that are trained. You get soul winners that go out. That's what it is. That's why God's so passionate about this. He said, when you do this, you'll get, you, it'll be expedient for you. And you'll get eternal fruit. You'll, give, you'll equip your saint that's going out and doing what you can't do. See, we're, we're stuck in one body, friend. You can only live one place on the planet at a time. Sometimes I wish I could do two, two places and be a part of something. I can't. I can only be one place in the world at one time in one body. So if I can't go in person... I have the responsibility. I've got to find other people to go. I've got to go in proxy. And they can't go on their, on their own dime. Most people cannot do that. But we can help them. And when we do that, we equip them. And then we give enjoyment to God. He says, you know, when I find a giving Christian and a giving church, here's what Paul said to the church at Philippi. You have given an odor of sweet sacrifice. Sweet sacrifice, an odor acceptable and well-pleasing to who? To God. He says, ah, finally a good smell in a world that stinks. I went over that Christian and I saw that church family. Oh, that's a sweet smell in a stinking world. And then God says, by, he said, then my God shall supply all your needs. You know, you and I have needs that money cannot fix. But God says, if, because you, he said to Paul, said to that church, because you gave, because you participated, the expedient thing for you is that you're going to have your needs met. I, I believe this with all my heart. If I didn't believe it, I think I'd, just, I'd give you my resignation and go do something else. But I believe if we continue to, 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 to reach the world with the gospel, locally and globally, we give aggressively, then God's going to take care of everything else. He's going to do that. He has done that. Well, sometimes when I look at our church, I'm just absolutely amazed at the protection of God, at the provision of God, about how the, we come to a huge problem and God just helps us, blesses us. He said, I'm going to help you with your needs. And, and, and our need is not money. We need money, you need money, I need money, but that's not our, always our greatest need. But you have a sick kid tonight, I don't care how much money you give the emergency room doctor, he can't fix that child. You're going to need something more than that. Your kids are struggling. Married kids are struggling. You're going to need more than, you're going to need more than a few dollars to throw at that problem. You're going to need God. You're going to need comfort in times of loss. You're going to need wisdom in times of decision. My God shall supply all your need, according to his rich and glory by Christ Jesus. Then it talks about glory to God forever and ever. How many of you would like to be interested in something that would glorify God for eternity? Oh, man, we ought to be all over that. So he says, herein I give you my advice. Uh, if you've committed to do this, Church of Corinth, you filled out the card last year. Remember how excited we were when you filled out the card? Now do it. 
Do what you put on the card to do. That's what he's going to tell him. He's going to tell him that pretty strongly. Let's look at the next verse. Would you look at verse 11? Now, therefore, perform the... You know, my, uh, Paul had something on Nike before Nike had Nike. To do it, you just do it. He said, now do what you said you're going to do. That as there was a readiness to will, you were willing to do it, and you were excited about doing it, so let there be a what? Performance also out of that which he had. Okay, now there's, there's some folks years ago that just said, just pull a number out of the hat. And something you don't have and try to give something you don't have. And, and I'm not, I'm not uh, once again, I don't think there's a wrong way to give, but that's not what I'm telling you to do. He says here, he said, give based upon what you have. The, based upon the income God's given you. Now, some of you, you really, you're not tithing. You need to tithe. That, that's, that's a no-brainer. That's the training wheels, okay? Don't try to give to missions if you're not willing to honor God with a penny out of every dime, okay? So uh, you need to make sure you're tithing first. So don't, don't skip, so, well, I'm just not going to tithe, I'll just give to missions. Don't do that. Let's honor the Lord with that because that helps pay for God's work and His workers, but the more important thing about tithing and God's purpose for it, according to Deuteronomy 14, 22, and 23, is that you and I will recognize God in His in his work in your life. You're going to have God's presence upon your life. It's really miserable to live the Christian life without Christ. You have him, he'll never leave you, but you don't feel his presence. That's the fear of the Lord. And God knows all of us think about money every day, and so when, we, when he tells us to come to church and give the tithe, when you give money, you give your heart. Where a man's treasure is there... It, you, it helps you keep a heart. If a person will tithe and give to mission the rest of their life, they'll be in church the rest of their life. And they'll hear God's word and faith will be fostered and there'll be much more. People usually who leave church, not always, and please don't, I'm not, I'm not saying this is the case, but many people who leave church stop giving way before they leave. Honestly. Now, I don't know. I don't know who tithes in this room because I wouldn't know how much money you got. I don't study that. I don't, I don't, I don't really care about that. It's between you and the Lord. You know what you got. You know if you're an honest tither or not. That's why the Bible says, thou shalt truly tithe. He said, make it honest. You know what you got, so you, you make sure you tithe on that. And it's proven fact, as I said this morning, the more, people, the more money people make, the less percentages they give to God. It's just the way it's, they give less when they get more. And it really ought to be different than that. When God gives you more money, it should raise your standard of giving, not just your standard of living. And don't over-obligate yourself in getting stuff and getting this and getting that. Some of us, we need to pay our debts off before we can get terribly aggressive. I think you can still pay your debts and give to missions, but you can't do it as generously as you can when you're up to your, up to your neck in debt. If you over Tom, Dick, and Harry out here, and then you're trying to give aggressively to missions, it's probably not something you should do right now. You should give to missions, but I don't think you should give as aggressively as you can give when you don't have everybody else you owe. So I think there's some things we have to learn about that. But he says, look, I want you to give, and I want you, you said you're going to do it, now do the performing of it. And there first must be a will. See, here's where I think most Christians who are truly saved just listening to this story from the Bible causes me, like, I want to get involved. Because the Spirit of God's on the inside of me. How many is on the inside of you? And when someone talks about missions, you think, yeah. 
When you see a guy uh, trying to get water that's going to go to a village of a Muslim group of people that will listen to them share the gospel of Jesus, which they already believe that Jesus was a good person. They don't believe he's the son of God, but they do believe that he's supposed to be listened to. Their, their, their Quran tells them, listen to the people of the book, talking about the Bible. A lot of good things there. But boy, when you can take something like that for $200, walk into a village, I don't know about you, but I want to do something to help that. I'm glad that we did. Yesterday, we allocated $10,000 from our, from our surplus to help purchase more of them. That's good. I'm glad we can do it together. We did decide to do that. But we want to, we want to participate in that. There's a will inside of me. I would assume there's a will inside of you. Some of you might say, yeah, I want to, but, and maybe you do have to do some homework. You have to go back and say, you know what, I've got to, I'm going to give. I'm going to give what, this is what God laid in my heart to do with what I have, but I am going to be able to do more next year because I've got to service my stupid credit card. It's eating me up at 27% interest every month. And I'm going to knock that in the head so next year I can do this more aggressively. I'm going to do something where I can help with that. That may be, or I need to start tithing. But he said, there needs to be a will. Now let's look at the next verse, if we can, please. Look at verse number 12. For if there be first a what? For those of you who are Bible students, let me encourage you to look in the Old Testament uh, whenever, whenever, and just find the word willing. You can do a, a search on that. You might be amazed how many times, you know, when God built the tabernacle, he went to the people and said, hey, you know what? If, uh, if you have silver, well, bring the silver. If you have gold, bring the silver. So, I don't, I don't, do, you have, do you have cloth? Do you have, do you have uh, uh, maybe animal skins? We can use that. He gave something simple that everybody could participate in. He said, if God's given you a willing heart, then participate in doing this. And by the way, that's what God uses. He uses you and uses me to get his work done. I don't understand that, quite frankly. I wouldn't put that faith in me. But God wants to partner with you to get the gospel. He said, if you've got a willing heart, then that's great. Look at that next time in your Bibles. If it's accepted according to what a man what? What's the next word? Hath. And not according to what he. So he's not asking you to give what someone else can give. There are dear friends in this room that could give far more aggressive than I could ever give. You just got deeper pockets. You can spend most of your time trying to make money. And you're good at it. Okay? Most of my time, I don't spend time trying to make money. I tend trying to make making disciples. So I, I don't have that ability right now, but some of you can. Some of you, you're just starting off. Some of you got little kids, little children. You cannot give as aggressively. You can still keep growing, but you can't maybe give as aggressively as someone who's retired. Every retired person has to get in their head. When's enough enough? Some of us, we have we have large amount of money just sitting, and it's going to sit there until you die. And you go, well, good. When I die, I'll tell you what, we'll give some missions. When, that's over. When, you, when you don't need it anymore, then you're going to hand it over to missions. And there's a little bit something to consider about that. The Bible says you'll be rewarded for the deeds done while in your what? Body. So I'm not so sure about all this stuff. Well, I, I'm like, I'll give a million when I get done. When I'm done. If I don't need it, I'm going to give it to missions. And most time, people don't do it. Most time they give it and spoil everybody around them, and it goes to it just goes to waste. And I think that there's a there's a reason why you give your inheritance to your children's children. Most of the people in the Bible had so many grandkids, it wasn't going to spoil anybody. 
They weren't going to spoil their kids. They, give, they just give a little bit to every grandkid, and no one really got, got, got much of a hand up. They just had to go back to work anyway. I think there's probably a reason for that. And I think for some of us to save a huge amount of money, it's, it's, not, it's just stupid. Whenever you realize that as soon as you die, it, 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 and as soon as Jesus comes back, it's, it doesn't even matter. We need to give, do our giving while we're living. And he said, I want to encourage you to do that. Look back at our verse if we can. For I mean not that others be eased and ye burdened. He says, look, I'm not looking to, to put the pressure on and people to feel bad or you don't have it. Don't. No, he says, I realize everybody doesn't have equal, equal incomes. He said, but right now, would you rather live in the United States of America or Egypt? Would you rather have the earning capacity that you have, or would you like to live in Nicaragua or Liberia, where a guy can dig a tree for a whole day and get like 37 cents? We're in a better situation right now. The poorest in this room is in a much better situation than most of the 96% of the world's population. And because of that, he said, look, I'm not asking you to be hurting while some... He goes, but right now, and let's look at the next verse. I think it will say it for, for me a lot better than I can say it. Look at verse 14. For by this equality that now, what's the next three words? Would you underline those three words if you're used to underlining things in your Bible? For this equality at this what? Time. At this time, God has given us more than we need. He's given us more than we need. Most of us, we, we, have, we, have more, we have more clothes in our closet. We can't hardly move. We have, we're, we're to, buy, to buy more stuff, we can't, we're having to squeeze it in and shove it in there, and it's about to break our fingers doing it. We, we got more stuff than we need. He said, at this time, we're blessed. So here's what he's telling them the church of Corinth. By equality, that at this time, your abundance may be the supply for their what? want for what they need, and that their abundance also may be the supply for that, that there may be equality. By the way, you know, I believe with all my heart, some of our greatest prayer partners are people that we support. There are people in other countries praying for First Baptist Church of Anna. When they see stuff that happens, it's, it's maybe the devil coming against, you know, some people that, that care the most about that are people that I'll never meet, you'll never meet, but they pray. And their, their abilities right now is prayer more so are praying for our want. Next verse, let's look at it if we can, please. Verse number 15. Uh, the Bible says, and as it is written, this is from, a, from a, uh, Exodus chapter, chapter 18, I think. Uh, he that gathered much hath nothing over, and he that gathereth little hath no lack. Everybody kind of figures it out. Verse number 16, read it with me. But thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. So I'm so glad that Titus, you, he cares about you, and he wants you to, to help you. For, in, for indeed, he accepted the exhortation, and being more forward of his own accord, he went unto you. He said he was excited about going back. He was there. He's, he, I asked him, would you want to go back and help you? And he said, yes, I do want to help them. It, it was his idea, too. He was excited about it. Verse number 18. And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches, another guy who's anonymous, not that only, but who 
was also chosen of the churches, and he just gives him credibility. This guy has chosen, he's helped us. Um, he's, he's glorified the name of the Lord. He's declared you with a ready mind. Verse 20, avoiding this, that no man should blame us in the abundance which is administered by us. Now, Paul is, you just have to remember this, this in context. Now I need to stop. But Paul has been severely criticized by, this, by some people, some high and mighty people in this church. So they have, they have given him the business, okay? So there are, there are some rams within the church at Corinth and some people they're listening to that have cast accusations on him. By the way, don't be an accuser of the brethren. You be very careful about accusations. They're dangerous. The Bible says, against an elder, receive not an accusation, lest it be in front of three witnesses, two or three witnesses. You might want to be careful when you open your mouth about it. There are some guys who are hardheads who had their opinions about him. And they were saying negative things about the Apostle Paul. And he said, look, one of the reasons I want everybody involved here, I don't want anyone to criticize me about the finances. So I'm not, take, I'm not putting my hands on it. You bring your own guy with his money. And I want, I want Titus to come, and he's going to bring another guy. Everybody knows him, and everybody respects him. He's a good guy. He has a good report in all the churches. He'll be coming with him, and he'll help organize the collection. And then verse 21, read it with me if you would, please. Are you ready? Providing. And we want to do that even in First Baptist Church. We want to be above reproach, and especially in the world evangelism, take, provide honest things. No, there's no tricky rickies. I want, I want everybody to be, be it's, it's, it's open, it's clear. We want to do our best to give it to people that are doing God's work in a faithful way. Sometimes I have a fellow, that I, a fellow or a missionary that I don't feel like they're doing what God wants them to do. And it's not, it's not easy, but it's not that hard either to say, you know, brother, you're going a different direction. And I am not going to take the funds of First Baptist Church people who are sacrificing and giving to just give you a glorified vacation. So we're not going to continue to support you. And I don't like doing that, but, I, but I'd rather be, provide honest than to, to be to be your leader and find out one day when all the books are open, ah, oh, Pastor, you kept that guy. You, you guys, you knew he wasn't doing anything. You still, you still took our, our, I want to make sure we're providing things honest in the sight of God. And you pray that God will help us with that because sometimes it's hard. It's a big world. It's hard to know everything that God wants to do and when you're supposed to, to pull the plug and when you're supposed to dung the, uh, the, the tree. Pray that God will help us know what to do. But it's, it's some beautiful things here. Now, on Wednesday night, we're going to talk about chapter 9. I'd like to ask you to do something for me. Consider reading chapter 9. And, and read it in context of what he's doing. Now, he's continuing his pep talk with them. And he says, no, look, I'll be there in a couple months. Just a reminder, I want to motivate you again. And in chapter 9, he'll continue to do that. But here's my, here's my goal today. And I know that it's a very different way to, 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 to share. But I want you to know why we do this. And why it's a good idea for you to consider it. And, and, and that, that what we do, and it's not about, once again, you do what God wants you to do. You ought to pray, you ought to take that, do what I'm going to do and put it in my Bible, pray about it. Linda and I are going to ask God, what will you give through us or you not give to us? And here's what I found, that usually God has a bigger shovel than we do. You give him a teaspoon, he brings a tablespoon. You bring a tablespoon, he brings a bucket. You bring a bucket... He brings a wheelbarrow. You bring a wheelbarrow, he brings a dump truck. He just has a greater ability to give through you what he'll not give to you. And I'm not saying everything is just peachy cream. You never have any problems. 
There, there are some challenges to that. Faith is not cheap. Love is not cheap. But you ought to pray and say, God, do you want me to be involved with this? Now I want to understand how, I, how I'm supposed to be a part of it. And I pray that God will help us. Let's pray.